Hello, and welcome to Abolish Arkham. If we can't imagine our world without police and prisons, what about fictional ones? On today's episode, we're examining our namesake, Arkham Asylum, and the criminalization of mental health. We are your hosts, Dakota Kennedy. And Yuki Nishida. And you're listening to WBCA 102.9 FM, Boston. So... Arkham Asylum. We're finally talking about our name, <laughs> our name on this episode. <laughs> you know, it was hard to pick a time to do it, but now just seemed like a better time than mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> I think now is the perfect opportunity in which we discuss why we want to abolish Arkham Asylum. Absolutely. Yeah. And just, you know, let's dig into uh, some stuff that I'm a nerd about, which is just the history of our criminal legal system and the ways in which it shows up in media. So I have to say I'm looking forward to getting into some of the numbers, um, some of the data and some of the history um, of the American legal system and how we incarcerate people, particularly focusing on people with mental health Mm -hmm. issues um, and how we can tie that into Batman, Gotham. Arkham Asylum, and the whole lot. Oof. And Arkham Asylum is kind of, uh, at least like in the timeline of when Batman was created, Arkham Asylum was introduced rather late, later, right? In the 1970s. Yeah, which I don't know. I had never thought about it, but I think it's one of those things that for me that like Batman and Gotham and Arkham Asylum all just seem so interlinked that mm-hmm. I didn't think of a, I didn't think that it would take like what 30 40 years to like there's like 30 or 40 years of batman without arkham asylum yeah i think <laughs> i and 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 in my research um sort of this idea of mental illness sort of being the influence of um batman's villains didn't really come to mind until like the 1970s and this is like in part with like the comics code when it was initially introduced in the 1950s. Everything was very much like black and white. Batman is right. Villains are wrong. And there wasn't really that much nuance in terms of you could share like and you couldn't show sympathy towards any of the villains. And so towards the 1970s, you know, with the civil rights movement, well, with Vietnam and just the general population of comic book readers growing up. Uh, people just began to question heroism. And so we begin to now see more nuance um, in Batman's villains, along with the introduction of Arkham Asylum. Yeah, and while we're talking, I want to be crystal clear that just because uh, Arkham Asylum didn't exist until the 1970s, that does not mean that prisons (laughs) didn't (laughs) exist in Batman. So um, a lesser-known prison institution um, in the Gotham universe's Blackgate. At least to me, I just think Arkham just is such a buzzword mm-hmm. and just gets a lot of press. Well, I mean, um, <laughs> the Joker is, the Joker, like, gets sent to Arkham, so. Exactly, yeah. So I just want to be clear that, like, during this time, there is Blackgate, um, which operates as more of a traditional prison. Mm-hmm. Um, but this story of how Arkham Asylum came to be is a little funny to me. Um, because one of the creators of Arkham Asylum, at least the author who was writing Batman at the time, is Dennis O'Neill. Um, and it looks like De- Dennis O'Neill in the 70s was having a conversation with Jack C. Harris, who was a different DC writer and editor, and both were big fans of H.P. Lovecraft. And Arkham is actually the name of a fictional city 
located in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. of all places, in the H.P. Lovecraft universe. Interesting. And so apparently one night over dinner, um, Jack Harris was talking to Dennis and saying, you know, criminals like Two-Face and the Joker shouldn't be just jailed. They're nuts. They should be in an insane asylum. And what better one than Arkham Asylum from the Lovecraft stories? And the editor and and Dennis O'Neill thought that was such a great idea mm-hmm. that that was really the launch of having two separate systems. So having Blackgate and then mm-hmm. having Arkham Asylum, where the criminally insane, quote unquote, mm-hmm. go, which and to be honest, and I think you found this, too, in our mm-hmm. research, most villains go to Arkham Asylum. Yeah. I mean, if they have a colorful costume and they have some sort of mental illness uh, they get sent to Arkham or get locked up there. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, we have entire movies and video game franchises mm-hmm. and all sorts of things that are dedicated to Arkham, but you don't hear it in the same way for Blackgate. Like, I think one example, like, was Catwoman mm-hmm. goes to Blackgate. Yeah. And actually, now that you mention it, Mr. Freeze is housed in Arkham, but he's, like, technically not categorized as, quote, like, criminally insane, according to the Batman universe. He's just sort of housed there for, like, for his, like, specific needs of being refrigerated. Right, which is a comment. (laughs) That's a huge comment on society because we do the same thing, and we're going to get into this, where we have Mm -hmm. people who have genuine medical and mental concerns, and instead of prioritizing their well-being or their health or their recovery, we prioritize incarcerating them or secluding Mm -hmm. them or, in some cases, solitary confinement. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to me that, like, Mr. Freeze needed to be at Arkham Asylum um, because he had a medical condition. So it was like the hospital, probably element of Arkham was better equipped to treat him. I don't know. It's it's all like (laughs) whatever, whatever, DC. (laughs) (laughs) In terms of like Blackgate and Arkham Asylum, I want to like reference um, uh, probably one of the most like popular Batman games, like video games that, like, I personally think is, like, the most popular um, and takes place in Arkham. Batman, I'm talking about Batman Arkham Asylum, which was released for the PlayStation in 2009. And so the premise for that video game is um, somehow all the... They had to shut down Blackgate and send all their prisoners over to Arkham, which, you know... And, like, the Joker purposefully gets admitted into Arkham so he can take control of Arkham from within. And that's sort of, like, the the whole plot of the the game. (laughs) And so it brings up a very interesting conversation of how we sort of mix our penal system and our mental health institutions. In prison, overcrowding and a lack of rehabilitative beds for Mm -hmm. people who really need... Warehousing prisons. Um, Like, I'm sure that that wasn't... I mean, right, like, I think before we started recording, you were telling me that, like, there was a fire and that's what caused the folks in Blackgate to be evacuated and sent to Arkham. And I can't imagine that that they were prepared... For that large of a expansion, like, <laughs> well, our prisons certainly are not. Well, funny you say that, Dakota, because in Arkham Asylum sequel, released in 2011, Batman Arkham City, they shut down both Arkham Asylum and Blackgate oh, in favor of a of one mega institution 
<laughs> called Arkham City. Oh, brother. So a super prison? A super prison. A one-stop shop? A one, yeah. Killing two birds with one stone, putting all the, quote, criminally insane and all of Gotham's criminals into this one system called Arkham City. And which, so naturally yeah. everyone gets rehabilitated and they go home and it ends happily, right? Uh, um, <laughs> if it's anything like the first, I didn't play Arkham City, but if it's anything like the first game, I I can assure you that's not it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and we're going to get into this more specifically in future episodes when we do um, deeper dives onto villains. But another thing that I think is interesting about Arkham is the is some of the staff um, who work in Arkham Asylum. So, for example, like Harley Quinn and I think even the Scarecrow mm -hmm. both start out as staff yeah. in Arkham Asylum, and it's part of their origin stories mm -hmm. um, in terms of their, yeah, their villain origin story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was Scarecrow's origin again? Gosh, I, I don't have it right in front of me. I wish I did. I mean, I think he started out doing a lot of the chemicals and a lot of the oh, yeah. um, the serums and stuff for people. Mm -hmm. And then he got, you know, right. Yeah. It's really oh, yeah. into the toxins mm -hmm. and all of that. And so there are, I just think it's interesting, like, to think of this idea about, you know, how Arkham seems to acknowledge that. Arkham not only is a bad place for mm -hmm. the people who are sent there as punishment, mm -hmm. but it is also crucial in a couple of the most popular villains that we know. I mean, Harley yeah. Quinn, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, her even being at Arkham Asylum, she starts there as a psychiatrist yeah. and as a caregiver. And then through, um, you know, various plot spoilers that I'm sure our listeners know <laughs> anyway. Uh, um, if you don't yeah. know and you're listening to this show. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but it might be a good time to check it out. <laughs> um, but, you know, like just this idea that it harms everyone. And I mm -hmm. think that that's like, you know. Arkham Asylum isn't good for anybody. It really isn't. I mean, like, even the origin story of how it, like, started out initially wasn't, uh, didn't, like, the original builder or architect yes one of, acts the workers. Oh, wait, well, so, I don't know about that. So, I guess what I'm thinking of is, like, even, so, the origin of Arkham Asylum and is that the creator of Arkham Asylum, oh, gosh, I'm blanking on his name. Um, but he named the institution after his mother mm -hmm. and Elizabeth Arkham. So the full title of Arkham Asylum is actually the Elizabeth Arkham Asylum for the Criminally Insane. Mm -hmm. And the creator um, cr named it after her. But I believe he, it comes out that he had killed her. And then he had wiped his memory so that he forgot that he killed her. Oh, Oh, Am Amadeus Arkham. Thank you, Amadeus Amade Arkham. Amadeus Arkham. Um, but yeah, and so like it's so it's interesting because like I know we talked a little bit about this, but so Arkham Asylum gets introduced in 1974, and then it's really in 1989 and beyond that the Arkham Asylum um, origin story and the depth really starts to get carved out. Mm -hmm. So I think there are some. It's called so the first one is a secret house on Sirius Earth by Grant Morrison, and there's like something about the mother. So Elizabeth with Arkham, who feels like she's being tortured by a demon. Mm -hmm. And yeah, her son kills her and wipes his memory and then takes over Arkham. Mm -hmm. And so even in its roots and in its foundation, like Arkham is founded on tragedy. And also the person who launches it is kind of secretly insane himself. Yeah. 
which is just like, hmm. Question. Yeah. Questionable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then even as it goes on, so like two other ones I'll mention. So in 2004, Arkham Asylum Living Hell is where there is someone who is, um, there is a criminal who pleads insanity by thinking that he can beat jail mm-hmm. and then ends up in Arkham Asylum. And then in, and then kind of going back to our theme about staff, 2010, Arkham Asylum Madness is actually focused on a day in the life of the people who work mm. in Arkham. And it does focus a little bit more on the people who are incarcerated there, which I think you said in the video game that the people who are incarcerated in Arkham are portrayed pretty specifically. They are, I mean, it honestly seems like you're playing like a zombie game. Yikes. With the way that... um some of the Arkham patients are represented or, like, depicted in the video game. And you even have access, like, in the video game. It's And it's, it's been a while since I played this video game, but I distinctly remember, like, being able to take a look at um, some of these patients' files and it would just simply be written off as lunatic, psychotic... And they would be depicted as um, like zo- like literally zombies, like attacking Batman. And you do have like the option to like subdue them, but like throughout, like, but through playing this video game, it's just like very uncomfortable to think about. And like looking back now, you're sort of like, wow. Like I'm like wow, playing that game just like really introduces and like ma- made me th- at least like think about how we treat, um, like, the mental health crisis, like, here in America and how we just generally treat rehabilitation and sort of the disappearing line between, like, how we treat, um, how our, like, mental in- how our like mental health institutions and our, like, carceral institutions are sort of, like, working together, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And honestly, that's a perfect segue um, into some of the points that I wanted to highlight, which, you know, we have to talk about the fact that America incarcerates more people anywhere than anywhere else in the world. So right now there's an estimate of about 2 million people behind bars. And that is a lot of people. That's just America. And almost um, half a million of those people are in local jails and haven't even been convicted of anything yet. Yeah. So that's just our general like prison system, right? So Mm -hmm. to try and put it into a little bit more of perspective, America has only 5% of the entire world's population and we incarcerate 20% of the world's population. So that is a (laughs) over-representation. So it's just so many people that we incarcerate. It's also incredibly expensive. So I was trying to pull some numbers And the Prison Policy Initiative did a study, I believe it was in 2017, where they estimated that America spends about $80.7 billion on incarceration. And they actually guessed that that number is significantly higher when you think about the collateral consequences of incarceration. Um, It's also really just so taking that number and trying to break that down a little bit. Focusing on California, which is one of the states that spends the perhaps the most to incarcerate people, they spend $70,000 a year to incarcerate one person. One person. One person on average is about $70,000 a year compared with $11,000 a year to educate a student in K through 12. 
And both of those numbers are for the state of California. But these types of discrepancies, like Mm -hmm. that's the largest discrepancy in the United States, but still a $60,000 spending gap between someone that you're incarcerating and a child that you're trying to educate. Oh, my gosh. Um, So really wild. Um, I also want to talk about um, kind of this kind of prisons versus hospitals. And when I use the word hospital, probably for the rest of this episode, um, I'm using that word very, very loosely. Um, A lot of these places are not um, able to keep up with demand and to really provide meaningful treatment to the people um, who need it. So just as a super quick frame of reference, I think a lot of people, like if you watch legal dramas or if you watch crime TVs, you even see this like guilty by insanity or innocent because of insanity. And you see these things. And so basically in a court of law, when someone is found to have a um, a medical condition or a mental health issue that really decreases their capacity to be like responsible for what they did, mm-hmm. it's it's basically seen as a way to get someone treatment as opposed to incarcerating them, which in theory is what we want, right? We want people to get treatment. That sounds great. Okay. If someone has an issue, they need to be sent to a hospital, get better. Don't send them to prison. That won't fix anything. Unfortunately, um, what happens is we have so many people who need help and we do not have the resources for it. Mm -hmm. And so even in these state hospitals, when someone is sentenced to do time at a hospital, because again, it's not it's not what we're thinking of when we think of a hospital, there's often a huge wait for people to get into beds and mm-hmm. there's a lot of things. And then also the flip side of that is that there's a significant number of people who are in prison, in prison prison, mm-hmm. who have mental health issues that can't be taken care of. Yeah. Um, like something I don't know that I'd ever really thought of is that when someone is incarcerated and the most people who are incarcerated are on some sort of public assistance when it comes to health care. Mm-hmm. And when they're incarcerated, that health insurance actually goes away. So yeah. their Medicare and all that stuff is cut off. And instead, they now have to pay these copays for health care. That sometimes are only a couple dollars a day, which doesn't sound like much. But when you're making less than a dollar a day, um, which, you know, whole nother issue. Whole nother issue within so our. I'll put a bit in it. It's <laughs> an industrial um, complex. Exactly. So it just is interesting because, like, again, America has a long history of incarcerating people and particularly incarcerating people with mental illness. It goes back to at least the 1800s. And the launch of this state hospital system was really meant to create accountability and transparency and actually get people the treatment that they needed. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, with the gross amounts of money that we're now spending on prisons and incarceration, the money to um, open up hospitals and open up more treatment beds and really Mm -hmm. treat people is really squashed um, because we've put so much of our spending into incarcerating over Mm -hmm. rehabilitation and treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So would... But I don't, but I'm also at the same time, like thinking about how, even if we like sort of divested that funding into like psychiatric treatment for these, uh, like for people who like really need, who desperately need like treatment, I'm still sort of thinking in the same way about how, like at its core, like psych treatment is kind of similar to carceral punishment. And it's just sort of. Iso- you're still isolating 
um, these patients from their community, you're still um, keeping them or sort of like locking them away. And it's sort of like still rooted in sort of this culture of um, like torture, white supremacy and like shame and punishment that an asylum or the like psych ward is still mirroring that of prisons. Right. Oh, absolutely. Right. Because. And when I say like, you know, more treatment or any of those things, we don't want treatment that looks like an asylum, like, of course. So it's this tough line where I think you just have where you have to balance and just reimagine how things could be different if we were able to just invest money in different ways. And I think a lot of it is just the difference between seeing the short term versus the long term. And I think what we're seeing right now is that we have for the last, you know, what, since the 1970s, like really the 1980s with the war on drugs that was exacerbated while Reagan was in office, Mm -hmm. we saw this huge boom in our prison population. I think our, according to the ACLU, our prison population has grown 500 percent since 1970 and it's really expensive. So, I mean, going back to this cost, I mean, when you think about how most states spend, you know, like around $40,000 a year on mm-hmm. average to incarcerate someone, so that, right, you've got places that are less, you've got places that are more like California. America, on average, only spends $11,000 per person on healthcare. Healthcare that I desperately need. Oh, we all need it. Yeah. And so when we talk about having mental health treatment, I think exactly what you said is really important that we need to just get away from having systems that resemble prisons Mm -hmm. and psychiatric institutions, especially for things like civil commitments, which Mm -hmm. is when if a judge or some judicial body determines that you are a threat or you could harm yourself or you could harm a community or someone else, that you could be civilly committed. Yeah. Which means that you are committed to a hospital um, against your will and you have to stay there until you get better or until the judge determines you can go or until you're transferred or who knows. Um, but That's, it's scary. It's scary. And it's also still kind of like it's still sort of perpetuating and stigmatizing mental health and mental like health problems here in America. And um, as we're sort of like wrapping up, I wanted to sort of leave our uh, leave our listeners off with um some hopeful news uh within <laughs> the world of Gotham. Yes. Hope. Um so just last year <laughs> in Gotham though this is in just Gotham, a though, sexual hope. <laughs> um in when they publish uh Infinite Frontier um a series number zero uh number zero um rather than rebuild um Arkham Asylum so Arkham uh Arkham Asylum was destroyed and instead of um rebuilding it, they want to create uh, this name called, Ar- this building called Arkham Tower, which basically is directed towards actual treatment instead instead of incarceration of the quote-unquote criminally insane. Now, what that's going to look like in the future of um, the Gotham universe, mm-hmm. um, we'll only know in due time. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, hey... If Gotham can abolish Arkham Asylum, maybe we can make some progress, too. (laughs) Once again, you've been listening to Abolish Arkham. We are your hosts, Dakota Kennedy. Yuki Nishida. And this is WBCA LP 102.9 FM Boston.
And we're going out with a track by Mo Pope called Rock Me. Girl, that moonwalk slow, pop lock low, taught me how to use my flow. Wipe my nose, sicker I got, better I get. Bigger the threat, the bigger crowd moving they neck. Them boys did it better than them, did it with less. Of course, we gotta pay rent. Money connects, but uh, I'd rather be broke. Be one of the best, swinging the song. King Kong, all of the rest. Pay dues, hope dues, pay my debts. If not, I rob them out of their mic checks. Come on, Papa was a b-boy who tagged his name. So everybody see it when he ride the train He taught me that a Glock could protect me from the block But a fat cat blows our brains Rock me, hold me up beside your head for a while Rock me, I gave you my love, I gave you my style Rock me, this is for brothers who chill on the curb Rock me, rock me, rock me I'm the patch on Slip Ricks, I rock him's cane. Jay-Z's first hundred off of rock cocaine. Ice-T's Kango fitty, E-40 slang. Getting high feet for Brazil and a crystal range. Masterpiece, no limit tank, shooting the flames. Kanye's wire lock, ready to swing the crown. That's leaning on top of Biggie the King. Freeway's beard, Raheem's four-finger ring. The heat in Miami, the streets is holding you back. Q-Tip's voice dripped over a JD track. Nasty Nasir's pen, writing one for the youth. Detroit. To Emmett Proof, Lil Kim in the booth, the face on Ghost, the eagle on Ghost face, wrist the O and E, attached to K R S, black star shining like the young most deaf, and I'ma rhyme until there's nobody left with this. Rock me, hold me up inside your head for a while. Rock me, I gave you my love, I gave you my style. Rock me, this is for sisters to chill on the crew. Rock me, rock me, rock me. Rock me. Rock me. 